Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, if you're looking for 40 charts every single day that can explain the capital markets to you, well, we have you covered. Lev Bordovsky writes The Daily Shot. It is a new newsletter and blog here at The Journal, and Lev is with us on the Money Beat Podcast to explain it. This is Money Beat, everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, Financial Food Fight. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast on a, a rainy Friday in New York City. And, and actually, I, I hope you even hear this because as we are speaking, somebody somewhere, some nefarious malefactor trying to shut down the entire internet, internet, servers are going down, websites are going down, some are coming back up, then they're going back down. A crazy Friday in, uh, in, in, in cyberspace, but hopefully this is coming clear through to you. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser in the studio with Ben Eisen and a special treat for you folks. A new member of uh, the Wall Street Journal family, Lev Borodovsky. Lev, how are you? I'm good. Thanks very and, much. And Lev, you are now part of, of, of the journal, but you produce a newsletter called The Daily Shot that you've been doing on your own, right, for a long time. That's right. That is now going to be part of what you can get from the Wall Street Journal. It'll be on the website. It'll be on our mobile app. But why don't you uh, tell us a little about this? Sure. Uh, my background is I'm a, a risk manager, and I've been a risk manager for 25 years. I uh, worked at uh, uh, Credit Suisse and J.P. Morgan. And, uh, back in 2005, uh, uh, we spun out to form um, what became known as GSO, where I started doing some commentary for um, as a risk officer for the uh, credit hedge fund that we ran. And then later I joined the uh, startup fund uh, called Bellpoint Capital, where in 2011 things got uh, a little messy. For those who remember, things were going on in Europe that uh, were hard for some of the more uh, credit-oriented uh, investors in the U.S. to understand. And uh, Bellpoint Capital was a fundamental credit hedge fund, um, and uh, they asked us to um, look around and see what, why uh, – U.S. credit is moving so much uh, that's unrelated to credit issues in, in the United States. And it was think, guys in Europe saying things, and um, the Eurozone crisis was upon us, and, and um, the U.S. got downgraded, there were things going on in China. So they asked me to be a, uh, basically become a um, macro strategist. And as a macro strategist, uh, I started sending out a kind of a daily um, email to the team, uh, but I also knew that the team was uh, didn't have a lot of time. There's a lot of ADD going on, and, and I just want to make sure people really get the message. And so I did it in a graphical format, and people really enjoyed that. Uh, and it was very helpful. We started sending it to um, our investors uh, and really created nice dialogue with, with Bellpoint investors. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Bell Point had to be shut down for uh, various reasons. And um, so I stopped doing the distribution. Uh, and in 2014, I got a call from um, a, uh, one of the investors who was uh, ran, and still does, uh, runs a, a major um, pension fund. And he said, look, I, I missed that, that uh, email you used to do because 
uh, you know, as a manager, thirty billion dollar pension fund, uh, I get two dozen sell side research reports, and I'd love to. Um, I can't read them all, but I'd love to get a summary in a, in a in a picture format. And so I, I in the May of two thousand fourteen. I started um, the, the distribution. I called it the Daily Shot and went to 12 people initially. <laughs> and so now it's uh, 36,000 subscribers worldwide. And uh, with a partnership uh, with the Wall Street Journal, uh, we think we can really scale it. Yeah. And it's interesting. If, if you've seen it or if you haven't seen it, folks, uh, Lev puts together dozens, literally dozens, I mean 40 or 50 charts every day, explains what they mean, their importance. Um, takes you around the world. Takes you around the world. How do you come up with 40 or 50 charts every single day? It's, a, it's, it's about a 10-hour process. It's a labor of love, really. Um, a 10-hour process to put it together, but, but I, I've gotten pretty good at it after sort of two and a half years of doing it uh, in terms of managing my time. But it's a, basically there's four parts. One is looking at markets around the world, um, what's moving and, and what's interesting, what surprises me. And it's not, it's not looking at the same markets every day. It's looking at, at everything and, and seeing where, where the developments are and then pointing those out in a graphical format. Then I look at uh, economic uh, events. Um, and, and, again, it's not just in the U.S., it's everywhere, uh, you know, including emerging markets, China, Japan, Europe. And uh, you'd be surprised uh, when people say, well, what does it matter if, you know, what's going on in Thailand? A lot of times it does. It may impact a commodity, impact a political situation, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it's important. And, um, and so I cover, you know, I'll look at currency commodities, equities, rates, um, and how they're impacted by the various economic events. The third uh, leg of, of this process is, um, is looking at uh, sell-side research. So, you know, I would look at what Scotiabank puts out or Credit Suisse, um, and I try to, again, diversify those sources because uh, they tend to focus on their specific markets and, mm-hmm. and, and so on. And, and I look for things that surprise me and, and hope to be surprising for, for others or interesting or useful. Uh, and they may not be your traditional things that you typically see uh, in financial media. Um, and so that's, that's, that's the third part. And the fourth part is um, social media. In particular, Twitter um, has enormous amounts of information and going through and finding, following people yeah. who, are, who are interesting and, and seeing what they're saying, what they're seeing especially if they're located in parts of the world that, that I have no access to directly. Um, you know, somebody's in Shanghai and mm. they're seeing certain situation going on and, and they would put out the information, a lot of times they put out graphics. Um, and, uh, and so those are the four parts that kind of cre- create, put, you know, that's how I put together 40 to 50 charts yeah. a, a day. I was going to say, we could probably have... We could probably do an entire podcast just on how you filter Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is, you know, there's so much passing yeah. through there. Yeah, I have a trick to that, and, and the trick is simple. It's, it's basically I create lists. I have about uh, half a dozen lists. Uh, each list uh, con- consists of about 20 to 25 uh, people or, or Twitter handles. Mm-hmm. And, and then this way, uh, each list is somewhat contained where you can actually go through a day's worth of 
of postings and scan through it. Not easy, but but it's doable. Right? You should do that as a as a as a blog post one of the days. Like you know, if you want to know about commodities, here are the twenty five people 25. here. Yeah. You know. Oh my god, that would get so yeah. much. That people would, love those. People posts. love that stuff. Yeah, interesting. We should. That's yeah. an idea. Listen, this is a good spot. Let's take a break here. And then let's get back to – And then the, when we come back, now that we've explained what Lev does, let, let's, let's – and we've got Ben here for – we didn't just bring Ben here to get him out of work for 20 minutes and sit in the studio. We brought him here to talk. So, One in two people who like what, – what, what was it that uh, – Well, I think we're about to get wonky, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Some, some of these charts that uh, – uh, very hard to decipher and, and yes. but say very interesting things. So, so when we come back on the other side of this important message, we are going to get wonky. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Hey, this is Stephen Perlberg from the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Are you interested in the biggest changes in the media and advertising business from Facebook to Snapchat? Tune into the WSJ Media Mix podcast for interviews with some of the biggest names in media, from Gawker CEO Nick Denton to Turner President David Levy. For more, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, Financial Food Fight. Welcome back to the Food Fight. And folks out there listening in podcast land, if you want more great podcasts, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. We are on Twitter. We're at WSJ Podcasts. And you can subscribe to us. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music app, and Spotify, as well, obviously, as, as I said at the top there, wsj.com slash podcasts. Back in the studio here with Lev Borodovsky, our new uh member of the WSJ family here, who produces The Daily Shot, Ben Eisen, Steve Grosser, Paul Vigna, and uh, we promised you we were going to get wonky, yeah. and we wouldn't disappoint you, because when we make a promise, we keep it, I, I, most I, of the time, I think. I have the simple question. What are the, you know, sort of the three things that you think are going to be the sort of the most important drivers or things you're watching as over, you know, through the end of the year that are going on in the markets and the economy? Sure. Um and again, I look at global markets. Um, so the, the one uh, that I'm, I'm tracking pretty closely is China. Uh, people you know, watching the, the renminbi um, depreciating against the dollar gradually because it's linked to, to this basket. And people say, well, it's not part of the basket. So, so depreciation doesn't mean as much as it used to back in um, uh, you know, last, last year, August of last year. But it really does mean um, more than, than people give it credit to in that um, people in China, uh, and I've spoken to several of them, are very concerned about the value of their assets in dollars, right? And as they see the renminbi decline, their, the, the value of their assets in dollar terms decline, they want to convert their at least a portion of the assets to dollars. And they find ways, some are not necessarily legal, uh, but... Mm different channels, there's dozens of channels to move their money out, all right? And uh, Beijing's been been cracking down on institutions that, that have been helpful in, in doing that. 
But when there's this demand, um, you know, billions of, of dollars worth of assets want to leave, people find a way. So this I is, I mean, I was just going to say, this is like, what's going on isn't the acute problem we saw last August where, right. you know, the, the uh, yuan was devalued and the markets then, you know, what, 10 days later, a week later, sort of had a big uh, crash. But this is a problem that is, it's a, it's a long, this is going to be a long-term problem and it's going to restrict the Chinese economy from really, you know, um, going forward. Yeah, that's correct. And, and I, I think what, what the risk here is that as it continues to depreciate, more people want to move their money out, which puts more downward pressure on the currency, which makes more people want to. And it's kind of a, a, a downward spiral for it. And, and there's further risk. And as the dollar rises and yuan kind of rises with it, uh, as much as they try to depreciate, it still rises with it. Um, China becomes less competitive against other uh, countries, including uh, Europe, like Germany, where, where the euro has, has declined relative to the renminbi, uh, you know, Korea, Japan, uh, s- uh, some of these other countries. And so the risk there is that the Chinese may be forced into a, a more st- a steeper decline in the currency, uh, which could create what, what people call competitive devaluation or, or currency wars. So those are a bit of a that's a bit of a tail risk, but but it's something that's on my on my radar. I mean, I think it's interesting. I was I was looking at the the chart of uh, uh, the yuan exchange rate with the dollar this morning in the daily shot, and 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 the chart. Um, you know, when you think back about the two previous times when uh, sort of this depreciation of the yuan has has sort of appended U.S. markets and global markets, I guess at the beginning of the year and. Um, uh, last August, August 2015, um, you see these sort of sharp moves uh, in the yuan. Kind of th- this this sharp devaluation seems to gain a lot of attention globally. But you know, since uh, January, February, uh, you know, it seems like th- they've kind of flown under the radar a little bit in terms of depreciating the yuan. And I'm curious, uh, you know, why why do you think people aren't really paying attention to it, even though you know, as you mentioned, the trend is very clearly going in in, in one direction. I think this introduction of the currency basket has something to do with it, where people say, "Oh, no worries. It's this is just only this has to do with the dollar rising." And so, when you have a you know 15 basis point decline a day in the renminbi, people say, "Oh, it's just it's just an adjustment on on the currency basket." But you got to keep in mind that the Chinese uh, individuals, high net worth individuals, and corporations are very keenly aware of the value of their assets and their cash in dollar terms because most most of their most of the trade is is in dollar terms so the dollar is a key currency for them and so the risk here is that you know they they are much more concerned about this than kind of the the rest of the markets what else are you looking at right now so clearly, um, and I think everybody's looking at the Fed and what the Fed is going to do. Um, my, my personal feeling is that we're going to get a rate hike um, this year, probably in December. Um, I think the Fed wanted to wait after the, you know, to do this after the elections and see how things develop. But, you know, we see um, inflation expectations stabilizing, actually rising, um, you know, market-based inflation, inflation expectations. We see wage growth, uh, which is Atlanta Fed released uh, the numbers yesterday, and wage growth in the U.S. is now the highest since 2007. 
Um, and there are a few other indicators like that. For example, bank credit is is growing at you know eight percent plus a year. So there's no credit issue. Credit is flowing. Uh, so there, there are a number of indicators which suggest that the Fed is prepared to do another 25 basis points. No big deal. And people say it's that the 25 basis points will have zero impact on, on the U.S. economy as a whole. Where, where the impact will be is in the dollar, the value of the dollar, because the Fed is the only large central bank that is actually raising rates. Uh, everybody else is either easing or staying put. And that discrepancy between the, the, the uh, you know, the, the regular, the um, uh, monetary policy uh, puts upward pressure on the dollar. And when the dollar rises, it creates potential issues uh, everywhere from equity markets to commodities to emerging markets. And, and corporate earnings. I mean, that's yeah. been one of the, you know, one of the things we've seen because the dollar strength started strengthening in, you know, the second half of 2014. And that's really when earnings stalled um, here. The S&P 500 earnings stalled here. Um, and, you, you know, we've sort of been waiting for oil and the dollar to stop putting downward pressure on corporate earnings um, so that, the, you know, they can maybe prop up the stock market that's at all time highs. Yeah, and you, you'll see, if the dollar keeps going up, you'll see impact on precious metals. You'll probably see downward pressure on oil as well, which in turn puts pressure on, on, the, on, the, on the stock market. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of the second thing that, that I'm, I'm looking at pretty closely. I think, uh, you know, going back to what are some of the drivers that could push the Fed to lift rates, you mentioned inflation expectations, and and um, definitely they seem to be rising over the last uh, couple months. and. Um, you know, it seems like maybe there 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 is sort of this this thought that you know perhaps uh, inflation is really starting to rise for real. Um, but you know, we have seen like a lot of kind of I guess false starts with inflation, um, where you when you look at market based measures uh, of, of of based on bond yields, you know they go up, then they come down, then they go up. At the beginning of the year, they were like the lowest since two thousand nine. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder, it kind of gets at the question like is is this for real this time? Um, do you think we're really starting to see a sustained pickup in inflation? It's a great question. Um, I don't think um, there's a, a, a significant increase in inflation uh, anywhere in the world. I, I, I think um, it's just we're in a disinflationary environment. So, But it, we have in, enough of a stabilization to get the Fed sort of awake, right? They're, um, they're not going to do anything drastic, um, but, but they're certainly saying, Look, you know, we're sort of one and a half percent. We're uh, inflation. Certain parts of the inflation uh, components are, are high enough to to sort of justify another twenty five basis points hike, and I think that that's good enough for them. It doesn't need to be a, a major major increase. And one of the other things too, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Is just in the inflation expectations have sort of followed also the price of oil, but as you, you pointed out earlier, Lev, that hasn't you know stopped the central banks from acting before, or at least on the way down. <laughs> right. The, the the way uh, a lot of times the way the the central bank um, groups operate, um, they they will say, okay, here are the kind of the the main things that we will look at, and then there's there's a, a series of of things that could stop us from from changing policy, right? And one of the things that could stop the Fed from from raising rates is if inflation expectations continue to drop, right? In Europe, for example, I mean, Draghi uh, started QE when European inflation expectations collapsed. 
Uh, so, so you know, the, the, on the margin, they don't the people don't pay much attention to it. But the, the fact that they're no longer declining and they're slightly rising is enough for them to say it's good enough, right? It's good enough. It's no, you know, it's not an issue for us anymore the way it used to be. I mean, it's interesting that people put so much stock in, in these inflation expectations. I, I guess there's sort of a separate cohort of people that's, that's you know, consistently trying to knock, knock down this indicator as being valuable because, um, you know, really, as Steve mentioned, it really does kind of track the price of oil. And um, I know there was like some research from earlier in the year where someone had sort of uh, I think it was a Fed bank actually had just sort of looked at inflation expectations and suggested that it, that that it priced oil at like zero dollars yeah. a barrel or something yeah, like yeah. that. Go- Goldman did that, and and and, mm-hmm. and it's it's basically these 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 are not very sort of predictive indicators. It's just one of the items that it's like a check mark on 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 their list that they go down to say mm-hmm. could this be one of the things that, that stops us from doing it uh, this time it's not it's not an issue so we we, we no longer it's, it's funny because inflation expectations in the consumer sector are actually declining so uh you know uh, university of michigan consumer uh, survey said that you know, consumers expect inflation to to be lower than before uh, in the next few years. It's like the lowest ever, I think. The lowest right? ever, yeah. Yes. Which is, uh, right, not not a very good sign, I guess. But. Yeah, and so they will look at that, and that's 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 not a check mark, right? That's going to that's gonna say, well, you know, this is something we've got to watch. One of the things, I, you know, as we're getting prepared, you know, for the Fed to raise rates, I mean, I think many people expect them to. What we have learned is that the, the effects of central bank policies oftentimes – do not play out as we expected them to. I mean, are there any things that you think we should be looking at um, to be impacted by the Fed that maybe people aren't paying attention to if they raise rates in December? Yeah, I think they've learned from last year um, where they, they projected, they raised rates and they said, we're going to have four rate hikes in the following year. And that really spooked people because it looked like, you know, way too aggressive of a, of a, a tightening policy relative to where the economy was and where the pri- where prices were, right? The oil price was c- continuing to come down. Uh, there were negative interest rates in other parts of the world that created this disconnect. Uh, and there were disinflationary or inf- uh, deflationary risks. Uh, I think they've learned that lesson, right? Uh, and so now they, they, uh, they monitor this indicator People refer to as you know financial conditions index. Uh, Goldman has a version of that. Different people have a version of that, and and they they want to make sure that financial condition conditions don't get too tight, um, and, and so that they, they will they will be very easy in the, in this rate hike, and that they will say uh, rates are going up, but our projection of rates gets downgraded, so the slope of the of the rate increases comes down. Um, the futures market already says that the the slope of rate hikes is significantly lower than uh, what the Fed projects it to be, and I think uh, over time the Fed will lower their slope of uh, you know ex- expected rate hikes to to be closer to where the market is, um, and and so that will ease some of the pressure. Uh, the resulting from from this rate hike. Nevertheless, I, I think the the dollar will continue to be strong because, this, again, this is the only central bank that though this that's tightening policy. And how much is that going to restrict the central bank, the, the Fed? I mean, maybe they do act in September, but I mean, a strengthening dollar is going to restrict financial, you know, conditions. I, you mean December. 
in December. Season, yeah. yeah, sorry, in December. I mean, I, like we've seen this game sort of play out over the you know the Fed like you know talks about raising rates or raises right. rates, financial conditions get a bit tighter, and, and then they pull, they back. pull back. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, is this going to, we're going to be playing out next year again? <laughs> uh, hopefully not, because because I think they what they will do is the guidance, uh, the forward guidance is going to be uh, pretty dovish, okay. right? And so they're going to say yes, we, we raised it, but you know, uh, going forward, look, we're going to be really gentle, in part because they're looking at things like the natural rate, uh, inter- natural interest rate, which is which now they admit is very low, and the na- natural interest rate is is, is kind of the b- the rate at which things are balanced, and where inflation isn't isn't rising or falling, and if if the Fed funds rates on a real Fed funds rates are close to the natural rate, the Fed is done. Right, and as the natural rate comes down, the Fed has only so much room to raise rates, and so we're, we're uh, we still have have some room to increase rates, but it's going to be a very gentle um, slope. Yeah, well, that's a good place. Yep, it's a good place. Uh, the newsletter, folks, is called the Daily Shot. Lev Borodovsky is the author. Lev, we're very glad to have you on Thank board you. now. Uh, so everyone, go on to the website. Sign up for it. You will not regret it. You get a, a great look at everything going on in the world. That is what you want, uh, as well as you want us. And we'll be back. We'll be back for you very shortly. Hopefully you're getting this. Hopefully the uh, East Coast Internet feeds are all working and things are good and, you know, we're out there with you. And if not, well, you'll get it. You, then you're getting it later because at some point the Internet's not going down forever. I mean, right? It's a nice thing about not being live as well. Yeah. Right. Well, and hopefully you get it before before the Fed lifts rates. That'll yeah. be uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, if and look, when well, you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to it, we're happy to have you with us, and we will catch up with you very shortly. Thanks. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.